You know the story of the season. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A proclamation. An end. A baby in a stable. But what came before that historic night? What connected that night and the years people had awaited it? A promise. The promise that tiny baby would fulfill. That though we dwelled in unrighteousness, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The promise that the sin we made our home could be washed clean. We could dwell in righteousness. We could be forgiven. You know, this Christmas season, uh, I, I tend to have a little bit more of a bah humbugish kind of perspective at Christmas time. I don't mean to. It's not my intention. It's just uh, I, I, I just get tired of Christmas stuff. And it's December the 6th, and I'm kind of close to being tired of Christmas stuff. Isn't that terrible? It's, it's sort of true, but it's not, it's not completely true. I, I get tired of all the... Um, all the stuff around Christmas uh, and, and all the activity of Christmas. And, and really, there are times when I just wish Christmas was about us sitting down, getting to the bare facts of what Christmas means and what it should mean, and, and just focusing in on that, soaking in on what Christmas is all about. And again, I'm not against giving and receiving presents. I'm all about giving and receiving presents. I really am. I love that. I I have great joy in doing that. Uh, I don't shop. I buy. Uh, So I'm, I'm quick when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, I don't, I don't mind the, the, the songs, all the songs, you know, deck the halls is a good song and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a fun song. I like all the songs of of Christmas, those and, and the ones that we will be singing here uh, when we gather together each week. I, 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 I don't mind even the mythic stories of Christmas, you know, the, the more mythic tales. I love watching uh, Burl Ives as whatever character he is on one of those little uh, Rudolph reindeer shows and Burl Ives singing a song about Rudolph the Red. Yeah, I like all that stuff. That's fun. But but when you combine all of that together and you put all those things in the same pot, for me, the stew is just too heavy. And sometimes I wish that we could just step back and see Christmas for what it is. Christmas really is a promise that's been fulfilled. A promise from the very beginning of time that's been fulfilled in the present day. A promise from the King of glory, the creator of the universe, God himself, to us, to humanity. It's a promise that has been fulfilled. And whatever we do at Christmas, let us not lose sight of the promise. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this promise. And and today, uh, kind of in a in a quick fashion, we're going to see how that Christmas delivers God's promise of forgiveness. That's what what Christmas does. And we all need forgiveness. Uh, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, you're not 
good enough that you don't need forgiveness. And you're not churched enough that you don't need forgiveness. And you're not moral enough that you don't need forgiveness. And you're not old enough that you don't need forgiveness. And you're not young enough that you don't need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. I think part of my challenge with Christmas is somewhere along the way, I I deal with people that are church people a lot. And somewhere in that journey, I, I get the impression that there are folks that I hang out with on a weekly basis that sometimes feel like they just don't need forgiveness anymore. And I I just, I don't want any of us to be that way. That's the way the children of Israel were, and we're going to be looking in in the book of Isaiah. I want us to begin at the very first chapter of Isaiah, and and, and we're going to key in on one verse, but I want to give you the backdrop of the verse. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, uh, the key verse. Here's what God says, and this is God speaking uh, through the prophet Isaiah. Here's what he says. He says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, Though your sins may be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That was a powerful promise that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. For the children of Israel, before he gets to verse 18, in verses 2 through Uh, uh, 15 he's saying to them boy you need forgiveness in fact in verses 10 uh, through 15 he says i'm sick to death of your church going ways all the sacrifices you offer all the prayers you put up all the incense that you're burning i'm sick to death of your church going ways now why in the world would god say that in fact he compares israel to sodom and gomorrah now what in the world were they doing that they would be as bad as those those uh, epic epically bad cities you know what they were doing they weren't taking care of the widows and the orphans and they were acting like they were okay They weren't taking care of the helpless around them, and they were acting like that's okay. They were ignoring what God told them to do, and because they were church-going folk, they acted like it was okay. Well, it's not. And what God says to them is, look, you are headed on a path to catastrophe. And can, can I tell you, and this is just, this, that's the path that all of us are headed when we don't deal with our sin and we try to pretend like we're okay by being good church-going folk. Uh, the, the end result of sin is always catastrophe. The end result of my sin is my destruction that's always going to happen and no amount of church going is going to cover up for the sin doing now y'all need to hear that because we kind of convince ourselves you know we 
play bad on Friday night, you know, play bad on Friday night. And we say, well, I got to go to church on Sunday to make up for what I did Friday night. That's a lie. That's what the children of Israel were doing. And God called them Sodom and Gomorrah. They were playing bad on Friday and coming to church and acting like going to church and offering sacrifices and throwing up a few prayers, maybe a Hail Mary every now and then, was going to make them okay with God. And God says, you have bloodied, your hands are filled with blood. And all your religious stuff ain't going to make a bit of difference. And the end result of that kind of life is catastrophe. Now, if you're here today and you're a good church-going folk, but you're doing the church-going thing to hide a life that is inconsistent with what God desires, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're going to escape catastrophe because you're not. I'm not. I mean, I can hide behind great sermons, but if my heart is still rebellious toward God, catastrophe awaits me. We all need forgiveness. And that's the promise that God makes. He says, okay, there's one path, this path of rebellious heart, that will lead to catastrophe. But there's another path you can take. It's a path of a repentant heart that leads to forgiveness. And that's where verse 18 comes in. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though though they be red like crimson, they can be white as wool. He was saying to his people, listen, there's forgiveness for you. But you have to have a heart to receive the forgiveness. Do you have a heart that's ready to receive the forgiveness? See, the measure of a heart that's ready to receive forgiveness from God is a heart that is humble enough to acknowledge, I can't manipulate God into forgiving me. I have to receive his forgiveness the way he's provided it. And that's Christmas. I mean, jump ahead five or six hundred years after Isaiah's preaching in Isaiah 118 and hear what the angel said in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Hear what God said through his angel to Joseph. He said, Joseph, Mary's going to have a baby. And it's what the Spirit of God did. She's telling the truth. It's of the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son. And Joseph, you're going to call him Jesus. That is a powerful word in Hebrew culture. Jesus. The same name as Joshua. You know, the book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Joshua. The same name as the guy, Joshua, son of Nun, who led the children of Israel. The, 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 the apprentice to Moses, who then took over the leadership and led the conquest of the promised land. Joshua. Joshua, the name means deliverer. It's a warrior name. It's a powerful name. It's a delivering name. And, and when Joseph heard... God say to him through the angel, you're going to call this baby Jesus. He began to understand 
that this was not any ordinary baby. This was God's sent Messiah. This was the one that had come to be the deliverer. In fact, the angel goes on and he says, you're going to call his name Jesus for he will deliver his people from their sins. Here's Jesus coming. Special delivery from God himself as the rescuer, the one who provides forgiveness for our sin. And friends, that's the only place we can find forgiveness for our sin. There is not there is no amount of good work you or I can do. We can't be religious enough or moral enough or American enough or Republican enough or Tea Party enough or Democrat enough or socialist. I'm trying to get them all in there. I, 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 we can't be moral enough, Baptist enough to forgive our own sin. It is not you showing up on a Sunday morning, sitting in a Baptist pew, listening to a Baptist preacher, and getting ready to drink a Baptist juice. None of that takes care of our sin. And if our Christmas is built on what we can do, then when the season is done and the last Noel has played, we're going to walk away empty and sickly inside, headed for catastrophe. Christmas is all about God sending his son to die for our sin upon a cross. Christmas is about God sending himself in the flesh of a little babe in Bethlehem to come and be his lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Christmas is all about God sending Jesus so that he might put on Jesus our sin and Jesus might put on us his righteousness so that we would be forgiven. Today we celebrate Christmas We celebrate a savior, a rescuer, the one who has come to deliver us. We celebrate the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, if indeed you're a follower of Christ. Isaiah, a little bit later, in Isaiah 53, he he talks more about this forgiveness and how it comes to us. And he looks forward in history, in time, and he says... Hey, there is the king that will be coming. The Messiah, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And he's going to come and he is going to deliver God's people from their sin. But when Isaiah looks at Jesus and God reveals who Jesus is, he paints the picture of a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, Surely Jesus has borne our sorrows and our griefs. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring us peace is upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way and God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Here's where forgiveness comes. 
It comes from God himself taking on human flesh, living his life without sin, doing miraculous things and teaching miraculous truths and living out the promises that he made even before the Garden of Eden. And yet Jesus, who is God, become man. Perfect in every way, willingly, freely, gave himself up to be hung upon a cross so that God might place on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So that God might make him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf. So that God might unleash his forgiving love on a world that's in need of forgiveness. And demonstrate that love by sending his own son to die in the place of sinners like you and me. Jesus is the one who gave his life a ransom, the payment price, to deliver forgiveness to us. This is the Christmas story. Not merely the cradle in Bethlehem, but the cross on Golgotha. This is Christmas that God delivers forgiveness to those who would receive Christ who would believe on his name. That he would give forgiveness, not based upon how good you are, not based about, uh, upon your attendance at church or at life group or uh, at your small group at home. It, it, it's not based upon how many suppers you take. And, and, and by the way, when we pass out the elements, we got a wafer and we got a cup. And neither one of, the, uh, of those elements, neither the wafer nor the cup, have any kind of magical formula in them. They can't make you strong. And they, they're not like Popeye's spinach. They're not like uh, Bugs Bunny's carrots. The, the, this is just a cracker and some juice. They cannot wash away your sin. They cannot purchase your forgiveness. There's nothing in them supernatural it's just cracker and juice but when you take the cracker and you take the juice and you have already received the forgiveness that God has given you through faith in Jesus Christ then that cracker and that juice reminds you of where your forgiveness comes from that cracker and that juice reminds you of how loving God has been to you a sinner That cracker and that juice reminds you to celebrate and thank the God who forgives. That cracker and that juice reminds you to celebrate the Savior who cracked his own flesh and poured out his own blood so that we might be forgiven. No, you're either forgiven today or you're not. That's why God says, come let us reason together saying, let's sit down at the table and talk about this. Do you want a life of catastrophe? Then keep on pretending like being a church-going folk is enough. Or do you want a life of forgiveness? Then have your life changed forever by faith in Jesus Christ. Look, if you have a religion that doesn't change much of you, if, if, if you're, you know, you can take it or leave it. 
then you need to really evaluate whether or not you have Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you, for me, if I don't have Jesus, I know I'm, I'm dying, literally. If I don't have Jesus, I know that I am empty and incomplete. If I don't have Jesus, if I'm not walking with him, if I'm not hand in hand with him, then my life is miserable and I can smile and I can laugh and I can preach. But if I'm not walking hand in hand in obedience to Jesus, loving him and living for him, then I am miserable and I'm headed for my own personal downfall and catastrophe, devastation. But because I do walk hand in hand with Jesus, He's changed my life. I can't live without him. What about you? Today, it's my prayer that if you are here and you're a follower of Christ and you have tasted the forgiveness that God has given at Christmas, then you'll take this bread and you'll take this cup and you will just worship God, the one who forgives. Can I tell you something about worship? And, 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 Man, I tell you, we get it so complicated. It's, it's, it's first world problems, the kind of worship wars we have in church. It's silly. And when I say first world problems, I mean it, it, is, it is something you see in this nation and, and it, it, this kind of place where we have all the benefits of lights and poinsettias and candles and Christmas. Wait till you see the Christmas tree lights this afternoon if you haven't already seen them. Uh, at Christmas at first we got all these different things and I'm I'm upset because I can't see myself on the screens up here you know it I have all these things and 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 we we gripe and complain because uh, the the orchestra was too loud that's a first world problem gripe and complain because somebody's microphone was too loud oh that's a first world problem you know you know what worship is Worship is simply us adoring the one who has given us life. Just strip everything away. You know, that's what this meal is supposed to do. This meal is supposed to strip away everything else and just help us focus in on one thing. This is God, and I'm going to worship him because he's given me life. It's worship. It's adoring the one who has forgiven you. Thank him. Take the bread, take the cup, and just take some time in the silence of these next few moments and just thank God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for pouring your spirit in me and giving me life that bubbles up on the inside and flows out of me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Worship him. Worship is not just us celebrating the God who forgives, but it's also giving ourselves to the God who forgives. See, worship is also us saying, it's time for me to live for him who died for me and rose again. See, worship, worship is never, ever, ever about me. Worship is never, ever, ever about what I like. The question is not, does that please Eric Thomas? The question is, does this please God? That's how I want to live. When we worship, we say, I just want to honor God. I just want to make him smile. I want to live my life for his aim, for his pleasure, for his glory, for his honor. And when we take the cup and we take the bread, you need to stay there and worship him. Thank him for what he's done. But then commit yourself to live for him wholeheartedly. Attitude, words, mind, thought, body, everything. Give him your all.
See, the supper, this meal, don't make it like a ritual that the Israelites were fulfilling that God condemned, just trying to cover up. Make this meal a moment of remembrance, a season of celebration of the substance of God's forgiving love in your life. This is worship. So let's worship the Lord.